In our culture, everything is based on success. But what is success and who to find it? That's the big question. Is it measurable? Can you obtain it? Can you dream it? Can you hold it? I'm on a quest to redefine how we view success, and I'd like to bring you on this journey. Welcome to Be Fulfilled. Welcome to Be Fulfilled. It is the real stories behind success. My name is Tony Grebmeyer, and this is episode number 61 with Reverend Ryan Candidate. Now, I know what you're thinking. Reverend, here we go. Gospel, we're going to get into it. No, we're going to learn so much from this gentleman who I've had the pleasure of walking in life with, talking about the good stuff, the bad stuff, and even the ugly stuff. And what we're going to do today is we're going to still do the same show. We're just going to talk about some stuff that I don't think gets talked about a lot in our society. I think it it gets pushed to the side. So one of the questions we're going to ask out the gate is like, what is Ryan's definition of success? We're going to talk about that. But little about Ryan, he began his journey in sobriety. There you go, Reverend in sobriety. That sounds interesting. We're going to talk about that today. On January 7, 2013, he is the founder of Free, a spiritual community for addicts, loved ones of addicts, and spiritual refugees, and experiences the most joy when helping others find God and beauty in the midst of mess and brokenness. Please welcome to the show, my dear friend, Ryan Candidate. Thank you for having me, Tony. It's, it's great to be here. Man, I'm, I'm excited for this opportunity for us. First question out the gate, what is your definition of success? Well, we could probably define it a lot of ways, and depending on who you read and, and where you're going for definitions. But I, I don't know, you know, I think you might be able to define success for me best if you were to ask my kids, ask my wife, ask the people closest to me how present I am. If I am present, if I'm aware of the needs around me, if I'm not just totally into myself that day, if I'm getting out of myself, if I'm actually asking questions of other people, if I'm serving other people, if I'm playing on the floor with my kids, if my wife says, yeah, Ryan was actually, he was present today. He wasn't just taking phone calls or on the phone or he wasn't just whatever it is. I think those are the people who could define that's successful. And then, you know, you can get into other realms of, am I at peace? Do I have inner peace? Am I, am I worried about everything that's happening around me? Or am I waking up that morning saying, yeah, I have peace today. I can go and actually be with others today and contribute something to the world. That's a successful day. And I love that. That's a great definition too. So one of the things I want to say is thank you very much for being a guest. I'm honored to have you here today. One of the things that took me back the very first time that I ever met you was, all of your tattoos. <laughs> here's a, a reverend. Here, here's a, a guy who's sober and all of these tattoos. And I believe inscribed on your right hand, correct me if I'm wrong, is free. Yes. And one of the things that I've always loved is, is how you are free in your expression of who you are and kind of how the world doesn't really need to see you any different than how God sees you, which is free. And I, I just want to say, man, it's, it's going to be awesome to go up Success Mountain today with you. And stating back a little bit, January 7, 2013, you kind of got sober. But obviously, that's just a couple of years ago, and you're a gentleman who's got some age and life to him. So I want to, I want to unpack really, really quick where you grew up. Tell me a little bit about your childhood. 
And then we'll kind of stair step our way up Success Mountain today. I don't believe any of us can stay on Success Mountain for long. So when we do, I want to be able to help anybody listening today exactly what you were talking about with affecting addicts, community, loved ones, helping people to recover. I got off my earlier podcast this morning and then jumped onto a call. Somebody reached out to me and said, please talk to blank. His wife just relapsed and took the money out of the bank account. That was, that was my call in between podcast days. So like, I'm so proud to be talking to you today because recovery is so important. And I believe so many people are affected by addiction and abuse and and just a lot of stuff that I'm just so excited that we get to talk about the tough stuff and bring it to a platform for others to, to find hope. And so thank you very much for being brave and being kind enough to join us today on the show. Yeah. And I'm glad to be here. And, and, you know, when we talk about success in my childhood and, and really this is all of life, not just the childhood, but those successes come because of, because of my times in darkness, because of my utter failures. That's how I experienced success. So I learned a a few years ago, I started getting serious about what my life theme is, what I want my life to be about. And and you said it earlier, and it's to help others experience God and beauty in the midst of mess and brokenness. Because in my life, that's always where I found God and beauty. It was it was never when I was at the top. It was never when I, we hear said, when you're coming in on a winning streak, <laughs> I, I find God and beauty at the bottom. I wish it wasn't that way, right? I mean, no one wants to find beauty in the bottom. We don't want to hit the bottom, but that's constantly where I experience God most profoundly. You know, I grew up in mid-Missouri, in a place called Lake of the Ozarks, actually the St. Louis area until I was about 14 in mid-Missouri. Interesting. My parents had a really ugly divorce when I was five years old, and it was one of those kinds of divorces that stayed, it stayed really ugly until my mid-20s, so like 20 years of just kind of chaos. In the midst of that, I had what I would say is a good childhood. I had parents that loved me. You know, in the eighth grade, I was picked on, I was bullied. So what I did is I found, I found a place of belonging in my church youth group. That is where I found not just belonging, but people who believed in me, people who said, you can be a leader. And that's where I started developing some of my leadership skills and, and what it was like to actually commit somewhere and to be involved somewhere and to, and to belong somewhere. So I was always in high school, you know, high school, early college. I was looked at as the good kid. I was the good kid. 17 years old, I knew I wanted to be a pastor so I, I, when I turned 18, graduated, I packed my bags and went up to a small Bible school up in Michigan and was studying to be a pastor. And, and so the irony is my brother, he was always the termed as the bad kid. You know, he was the one in drugs and alcohol and bringing shame into the Christian family. Uh, again, in high school, I would, I would sometimes leave the lunchroom and go a mile up the road. And I didn't want anyone to know that I was going to see my best friend, my brother behind the 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 glass walls in the county jail and he's in the orange suit and I loved him and I hated him. I hated him because it's like, dude, you are screwing up so poorly and you can't see what you're doing. And I hate being in this jail cell with you. And I hate having to leave school and not tell anyone where I'm coming. And you know, he did get sober for a couple of years. He got clean and sober, went to a rehab. Life was good. When I was 18 and left to that small Bible school up in Michigan, I was there for one semester. Actually, I was only there one month, and my mom called me. My brother relapsed, and in that relapse, he got behind the wheel of a car drunk and, and took his life. 
died in that relapse was the hardest thing I ever went through, losing my brother. And it it called into question this faith that I had because I had a God that I trusted and I loved this God and I was giving my life to this God. And and I was so certain when he, when Brandon, my brother became sober, I thought, man, this God is really redeeming his life and great things are going to happen. And I prayed for him every day. So for him to die, for him to die in this accident, in this relapse, man, I could no longer make sense of this God. I, I hated this God. I didn't trust this God. I wanted nothing to do with this God, but I had all kinds of guilt and shame about that because I didn't want you to know that. So there's a pattern in my life of doing things that I felt shameful and guilty about and didn't want anyone to know when that was one of them. I hated this God that I was giving my life to, but I didn't know how to say it. I didn't know how to articulate it. I just felt it. Sorry for your loss of your brother. The shame in feeling like you can't tell anybody what you're going through. And I think in the moment, like looking back, you're talking a little bit about five years old and just witnessing an ugly divorce between your parents. When you look back on your life, five, six, seven, eight, how much of an impact did that have on your life? Huge impact. And it took me years to work through this, years in, in counseling and therapy. And when you have something robbed from you, when you have something stripped from you as a child, you don't know how to navigate this world. It's a foreign world and it should be a foreign world. And you don't know how to navigate it. And you learn very quickly. You don't know how to talk about it with others. And what you do is you you tell yourself the great lie that I'm the only one feeling this. I'm the only one experiencing this. So I have this uniqueness about me that no one else feels. That's how you learn how to navigate. And, and what it, what that does is it produces a very empty feeling inside. So I can recall these feelings of emptiness from the age of five and remember thinking, man, did I miss something in life? Why, why is life hard? Why is life... There's not, a, there's not a whole heck of a lot of joy in this life. Did I miss the class somewhere along the way that taught you how to do this? Because other people have this. And, and I, in, in second grade, I was battling anxiety. I was battling heavy anxiety that would leave me feeling paralyzed. Why is this happening? And, and how, come, how come no one, you know, I didn't have these categories then, but how come no one's talking about this? And see, what happens is if you have those feelings of emptiness, and anxiety and the things and the guilt and the shame, you will find ways to fill it. And most of us, if we don't find healthy ways to cope with that, we will fill it with very unhealthy ways as I did. You talk a little bit about the emptiness, right? And a pattern in your previous statement that, that this, these patterns kind of keep showing up in your life, yeah. right? And then the emptiness. So you found yourself doing what to fill the void? You know, I never, it, w- it was never supposed to be me. You know, you, you mentioned I have a, I have a past with, with alcohol. I'm, I'm a, I'm a recovering alcoholic. And even saying those words, that was, man, that was scary words for me to say, because it was never supposed to be me. That was always my brother. But again, if you're, if you've got that emptiness and you're not doing something with it, you'll fill it. And so what I've found was I could take some liquid, some alcohol and pour it down my throat and it had a way to allow me to numb out. And I'll never forget the first time, you know, the, the feeling of that going down to my fingertips and my, and my toes and, and thinking, oh, this is what it feels like not to feel. I love the feeling of not feeling. 
Because when you actually feel and when you're actually getting vulnerable with people and getting honest with people, well, that's hard. And that doesn't always feel good. The, the results of that are good, but that doesn't feel good at the time. That feels scary. That feels like, uh, oh, Tony, if I'm going to get honest with Tony, Tony can judge me. He can, he can make some judgments about me that will hurt me even more. So I'm not going to do that. I liked the feeling of not feeling. I liked being able to numb out. So when you spent your time not feeling, but feeling like numb inside, I relate really, really well to that. As you know, walk together in sobriety with you. And one of the, the gifts is the ability to feel a friendship and a bond today. What were your childhood friendships like? You talked, you know, talked about early on at 18, you know, losing your brother, but going through life, you know, you found the bottle. Do you remember friends handed you the bottle? You found it in your, your, your mom's cabinet, your dad's cabinet. You found it at a liquor store. Like, tell me a little bit about your friendships kind of growing up. Like how, how were they? Yeah, see, um, and, and even, even when I went into recovery, even when I admitted I had a problem with drinking, some of those friends said, Canada, really, you? Oh, we would have never expected you. I mean, you were the, you were the one in high school who didn't go to the parties. You didn't drink with us. You always said no to us. So I was, my drinking was so excited. It would literally happen in dark closets and basements and in complete aloneness. And that's exactly the way I liked it because again, I liked kind of that isolation, that, that numbing out, not having to feel. So it wasn't friends who gave it to me. I wasn't the big party guy. I was the guy that would find it everywhere alone. And so that, what that leads to is stealing if you got to steal it, then you need to steal it. If you need to find crafty ways, you're going to find a crafty, creative way to get it. But it wasn't with other people. It wasn't with friends. I mean, later in college, you know, ironically, when I went to seminary, that's where I really learned how to drink while I was studying, getting my Jesus on. But it wasn't because of, it wasn't because of those friendships. It was, um, I actually had some, some what I think were healthy friendships, but those were waning as my life became more about shame and more about isolation. What is, what is the word Satan? What does that do to you when you hear that word? Yeah. So Satan, you know, when I hear that, I think of personified evil. When you hear about Satan in the old Testament or or what's called the Hebrew Bible, it was a way for them to make sense of profound evil in their world. So Uh, do you put a character to it? Can you kind of pinpoint maybe the darkness for you as Cause I don't think God ever leaves us cause we never yeah. leave God. Right. We're, yeah. we're where we're at, but do you believe like there's a little space that kind of the further we get away from God, Satan slips right in there. Or do you feel like even in the goodness that we're experiencing life, Satan's waiting for his opportunity because when you talk about the aloneness mm-hmm. and the hiding out and the darkness, see, that doesn't, that doesn't seem like light of God. That seems like the, you know, for me, like the depths of darkness. And you also wrote beauty in the bottom. So I'm like, I'm like trying to put all of these pieces together. So that's why I asked you about Satan. And then now I want to talk about Satan in that moment, right? Is whispering in your ear, like you can do this. It's okay. Do you, do you remember those times when you were drinking? Yeah. Yeah. It's always those moments when we pay attention to that voice that says, Oh, come on, Ryan, You, you can do you can do this and you're going to feel better doing it. You can do this and it's going to alleviate some of that pain. It's going to, 
And the great irony is when I was drinking, I told myself I was more relational. I told myself I was better at doing relationships. I told myself I was a better spouse. Mm. And I get it. That's really messed up. But so when you talk about Satan or that dark voice or that, however, whatever word you use to describe it, it's always, it's always those moments where, come on, right? You can fill this with something else. You don't need to fill it with the things of God. You don't need to fill it with things like peace. Come on. You're never going to find peace. This world's too hard. This world's too brutal. It's too ugly, man. Bad things happen. Come on this. You can fill it and find peace in that. It's a great lie. It's always a lie. Mm. Do you remember, maybe you don't remember 100% because I I realized through my sobriety, I know my bottom. I I remember my last drink. I remember my kind of moment where I said, all right, I got to put it down and pick something else up and replace it because what I'm doing isn't working anymore. You talk about marriage. And I know that you recently had a new New baby, welcome him into the family. Yeah. I want to talk about that, but I want to stay, stay somewhere right around marriage for a moment, dealing with addiction. Your wife, amazing, strong, yeah. gifted, talented, loving, kind, spirited, wholesome person, makes me, makes me think about my wife and mm-hmm. And sticking with me through my darkness, my battles. Share a little bit about your wife for a moment. Yeah. And the woman that has been with you through your darkness, your battles, and is still there with you as you now launch uh, free spiritualcommunity.com and the free movement and everything like that. Yeah. And it's, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because now, even to do those things that I'm doing now, I realize what a gift it is. And to be able to do that with my wife, so we do free together, man, that is a huge gift because there was a day where that wasn't possible. There was a day where I was so overcome with with the drink and with my selfishness, my self-centeredness. So to be able to do that together with my wife is, is an incredible gift. And she is she's the she's the person who embodies grace more than anyone I know. Her first impulse is grace. I don't understand how she does it. I just take it as a gift and say, thank you, honey. But she's a gracious person. And, and the day of my last drink on January 6th, or actually it was the morning of January 7th when she came down the stairs and she was holding the empty bottle that I thought I had hidden well enough. Uh, and I had bottles hidden all over the house. And, and she came down the stairs holding that bottle with tears in her eyes. And she said, what are we going to do? And it was one of those profound, powerful, poignant moments in my life because for the first time, and she may have said it a hundred times, I don't know, but for the first time, I heard that word we, and it brought me to my knees. It was a crushing, beautiful moment. And again, that's where I find God, right? When she said we, I knew I wasn't doing it alone, but I also knew she had some boundaries and I knew I was destroying the relationships in my life that meant the most to me. I knew in that moment I was hurting the people that I loved most deeply. And again, that was crushing for me. But when she said that we, it was like, all right, we're doing this together. You know, there's a, there's a big story to that. That's, that's my, that, that's the, that's the day I, I got sober. It's the day I, I found that, and I really can't control this stuff. I really, man, I've got a problem and I've tried so many different ways to beat it. 
and and I've got to surrender this thing and get some help. And I, I didn't do it right away. It didn't happen overnight. I tried doing it my own way for a while and that didn't work. But but it was that moment, which was a the most powerful poignant moment in my life for, for my, my recovery, my sobriety. Ryan, what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. But as we take a quick break, I want you, as you're listening today, to re-listen to what Ryan said. His wife comes down the stairs holding the bottle that he thought that he had hidden, put away, bottles all over the place, hidden away. And instead of like persecuting him and shaming him to feel worse than he probably already does, states the statement, what are we going to do? We're going to come back with Ryan Candidate in just a minute on the Be Fulfilled podcast. Are you suffering from marketing dysfunction? Are you not able to perform online as well as you could when you were younger? Unable to keep up with the intimate demands of buying product, running offers, and shipping items to your customers? Say hello to Ship Offers. Clinically proven to enhance the growth and longevity of your business. Get some today at shipoffers.com. We are back on the Be Fulfilled podcast. My name is Tony Grubmeyer. Today's special guest, Reverend Ryan Canaday. Ryan began his journey in sobriety on January 7, 2013, just before break. You heard me talk a little bit about his wife coming down that morning, the night before Ryan you know, drank his last drink and thought he hid the bottle. And instead, his wife had the bottle in her hand and uttered those words, what are we going to do? And I love it because it allows me to understand I'm not alone. Like I'm not alone because contextually for me, spiritually, putting God into the equation, today easy, in my past very hard, growing up in a Jewish family, living with my dad who was a Catholic, living with my business partner's family who was a Christian and ultimately marrying a Mormon. I mean, that's my little spiritual walk, right? So now I'm talking today to Ryan, a pastor, recovered alcoholic, in recovery for the rest of his life, living out an amazing marriage for the world to see what's possible when we come together and not go into isolation. You've spent time in aloneness. Now you are helping people as one of the founders of Free, a spiritual community for addicts, loved ones of addicts and spiritual refugees, to experience the most joy in their lives, even when they feel like giving up and there is no hope, you find beauty with God's help in the midst of the mess and the brokenness. I want to know today where that message came from, where that really became the driving force for you to go and affect change in the world. Because what I believe is you have an ability about you, right? I mentioned tattoos head to toe. Well, I guess you don't have them on your face, but you got tattoos, you know, on your arms <laughs> and everything. And I think there was a picture of you when you were getting sober of a man, a lot heavier, 251 pounds, man. What do you fit at today? <laughs> I'm hovering around 185. Wow. Uh, the, the picture your wife posted, I think your wife or you posted it like last year when you celebrated another milestone. Everybody was like, wow, that was you? 
Yeah. When you look at yourself today in the mirror, who do you see? Yeah, I, I see someone, you know what? I see someone that I like. And that's a, that, you know, that's a little thing, but that's a huge thing. I see someone where I don't look in the mirror and think, damn, I don't like that dude. He, he's, he's not worth very much. He's, he screwed it up. You know, and that's why I say, you know, that, 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 that moment when Tammy came downstairs and I was, and she was holding that bottle, I, well, I was passed out on the couch, you know, and, and when I say to people, man, do you realize what a gift it is? I get to sleep with my wife. Well, why is that a big deal? Shouldn't you should, every husband should be sleeping with his wife, right? No, but so many nights I was passed out on the couch and she would just lay a blanket over me and, and go upstairs and go to bed, man. I hated that person. So when I looked in the mirror, then I, I hated that person. That person was, was pouring a bunch of booze down his throat. That person was eating a bunch of cheeseburgers and French fries and not caring about his body and not caring about the relationships around him. So when I look in the mirror now, I see someone, yeah, I like that person. That's not a perfect person, but I like that person on most days. And that person on his best days can go out and create some change, can go love some people. That's a big deal. Man, you know, you want to talk about what you were mentioning earlier with Tammy and Grace. Yeah. Grace over you from a woman who has been there with you through it. Yeah. I know over the last several years, you've been around a lot of people who have gone sideways and ultimately suicide by drugs or alcohol or just death in general. You're, you, know, you work in a church. You work around what I love to call uh, life and people come. And I think so many people enter church and they, they practice being a good person on a Sunday. They, yeah. they practice being a really, really good person because I know that was me sitting in there. I remember sitting in church at a movie theater when it got planted in Santa Clarita. And I was sitting there one day and I remember the, the sermon coming and I thought it was for me. I thought mm-hmm. it was all directed towards me. And, and I know that one of the reasons why I've connected so well with you is because you feel more like me than not like me. You feel more like I can go to you about the good stuff, the bad stuff, and the ugly stuff. I know that you're going to be with me through it and not leave me. That's my relationship today with God. Yeah. See, I didn't, know, I didn't have that intimate relationship with God. So now let's talk about sobriety, being back at your kind of, I, I really believe it's your calling where you're really, really just, you thrive. Like I love, I want to learn a little bit about what you do on a day-to-day basis and how you can be there for darkness and how you can be there for light. And as you said, you know, like the person you see in the mirror, because it's hard to do all of those things and then remember to put the oxygen mask on yourself. Yeah. And I have to remember in all of this, that those moments of grace that speak so loudly to me, that is the image of who God is. And see, I didn't always know that God, man, I could, I could preach about grace and I did preach about grace. I could, I could tell you the, what grace means in the, in the Greek and, and where you find it in the scriptures, but I didn't have the, 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 the deep connection to it, the experience with it. You know, because when again going back to when I looked at myself in the mirror, I saw someone who God was so deeply disappointed in, who God said, man, you could have been this, but instead you're this and look at you. So it wasn't a God who hated me. It was, I imagined a God who was just so disappointed in me. And so again, going back to Tammy, who embodied that grace, it's like, 
That's why that's so powerful because that's who God is. The God who doesn't just come down. And I, I think so many of us have this image of God just waiting to pounce on us. And when we do something wrong, God's going to come down and, and stomp us out, let us know how wrong we are, and give us some judgment, tell us how bad we are. And then maybe this God will take us back. But what I've found is in those moments where I'm screwing it up the most, God is still there, always calling me to something better, but never telling me, you're so screwed up. You did it all wrong. I can't believe you do that. No, man, that's why I love the story of the prodigal son, this this son who comes back home and this God who the image I get is, you know, this, this son was giving his life to the pigs and prostitutes and just squandering his money, probably, probably with booze and drugs if they were around. And, and then he decides to come back home and he's expecting his father to, to stomp on him, right? Give him some punishment. Come on, punish me. I've been bad. And instead this God runs out to the end of the driveway and says, welcome home and gives him a huge bear hug. And says, let's throw a big party because my boy is home. And, and I think that's how that's that's who God is in my life. The God who's always saying this Abba Father, who's always saying, welcome home. No, no, no. I, I don't care about all that. Welcome home. I'm glad you're here. Now let's let's throw a party because this party's been going on the whole time. And I'm glad you're here and you get to be a part of it. Yeah. You know, when, when I look at what I get to do in life now, I get to proclaim that message. When you're at your worst, when you're at your bottom, that's where where God is. We have to surrender to it. We can't keep thinking our own sources are going to get us there because those sources have failed us. And we have to admit these sources, my own ways, my own methods, they have constantly failed me. But when I surrender to those, I find a God who says, welcome home. My boy's home. Let's celebrate. And that's a beautiful image. This world needs more of that. We need more grace. We need more, we need more parties. We need more welcome homes. And I, I couldn't agree more with you. I mean, proclaim it, surrender it, embrace it, and, and be welcome home into your new life, right? Like I, I believe, born again, I believe that every day is an opportunity for us to be born again, to, to literally say, today's a new day. You and I have never experienced today. Yeah. Today on the calendar has never happened in your your life or mine, but we're experiencing it together. You talked about you could deliver sermons on grace. You have, we'll, we'll put some show notes to get that sermon so we can hear it. One of the things that I love about you and Tammy is this passion, you know, being a founder of free, but then also along the way, deciding to go do another project prior with your wife called whiteboarding your why it's available on Amazon. It's, it's amazing. The gifts that you are putting out for the world, because see you're experiencing the fruit of your hard labor and work. And those fruits are not just rotten. They're not, they're not going to spoil because you're sharing them with the world and you're taking your talents. It doesn't matter where you go. If it's into a prison, if it's, if it's into a home, if it's into a basement, if wherever it may be, you're, you're sharing what has been given so freely to you and you're helping others to see those gifts. That's, that's the thing that I want to keep coming back to kind of my friendship with you and this ability and gift that I see in you is the ability to get, hey, man, wherever God needs me, I'm going. Like, I'm not ashamed or afraid. My past is my past. My present is my present. And in here is this, this I, I think this is powerful movement that you've created with free. I've got a chance to be involved kind of from some of the early days of it getting started, but I want to talk about it now as a spiritual community for addicts. 
loved yeah. ones of addicts and spiritual refugees. I want to know where that came from. Like where, like one day you were sitting with Tammy and go, I want to go start this church. Like, cause there's no church quote unquote in the title. Yeah. Yeah. But first I have to say this, you know, I experienced all the things I want to create, you know, in the basement of a church. <laughs> and I get how crazy that might sound to some of you, but it was amazing to me. That's, you know, my, my journey in sobriety has happened in a 12 step program and happens with still meeting with a sponsor and sponsoring other guys and, and journeying and walking with them. And so, you know, it was, it was my birthday this year, April 3rd. So coming up on almost a year ago and Tammy and I were laying in bed and I said, man, we're not getting any, we're not getting old, but we're not getting any younger. I'm 36 years old. And, uh, and I said, what would it be like to start a place for addicts and, and their families and, and their loved ones? And, and just for people who have like to create space for people who have felt kicked around by the church or kicked around by religion, or they feel like they don't belong with God. What would it be like to create space for them? Because I encounter so many of them and they say the similar things that, and they, they want to be in relationship with God, but they don't, they don't have much much use for the church and uh, organized religion is I think what they're talking. No one has ever said to me, man, I really like God's stuff, but man, Jesus, he was just, I can't really do the whole Jesus thing. You know, like when people hear about the life of Jesus, he was compelling. He was one of love. I mean, that was compelling. And, and when we talk about things of God, that these are usually compelling things. It's, it's usually organized church or organized religion or the church that stands as a barrier. So anyway, I wish I could tell you that was a profound conversation. It wasn't, we went right to sleep afterwards. But the next morning, you know, I woke up, it was still in my heart. And so I said, you know what, Tammy, I'm just going to email our bishop and the United Methodist Church, we have a bishop and, and I'm going to email the bishop and uh, just see if anything's bubbling up in our conference around issues of addiction and recovery. And I emailed her, I, I sent her a Facebook message and five minutes later, she wrote back and she said, oh my goodness, can, can we talk about this tomorrow? Can we, can we meet and talk tomorrow? And she was really into it. And, and she was the first one who kind of said to me, hey, go do it. And I said, Bishop, I, I don't even know what I'm doing here. I go do what? And just go do it. Go start it. There's a great need in our society, uh, especially right now around issues of addiction and recovery. And, and the church oftentimes doesn't do a great job with these issues. So go start it. You know, long story short, that was, that was in April, starting in June. We just said, all right, let's get some people in our backyard and see what happens. So we just started meeting Saturday nights in our backyard and we wanted it to be a place for addicts where we could talk about addiction and recovery openly. We could talk about God and Jesus openly. We read the scriptures, we pray together, but where we could also talk about, you know, we wanted those three categories, addicts, loved ones of addicts, spiritual refugees, those who felt like they had been kicked out of somewhere, like they didn't belong. So how can we create space where this belonging is happening? And it's all different kinds of groups coming together. And it's a, man, we're a weird group. It's a group of misfits. It's a group of screw ups. And, and I tell people, man, if you come on a Saturday night, you might see some high people. You might see some drunk people. You might see some people smoking outside. And, and if that's not your thing, cool. There's a million other churches for you. But when I look out to that crowd, I see the kingdom of God. And I see people who are loved. And, and we need this message is why we call it free. And I was convinced of this early on. Because all the things that set us free, things like grace and forgiveness and compassion, all of these things are so freely given by God. And man, that's a message that never gets old. It's a message 
our world needs to hear, especially those who are struggling with addiction and watching their loved ones struggle and been kicked around. Man, I can't thank you enough for sharing and, and bringing it down to just bite size pieces so it's not so complex. Because I think sometimes people get religion and church and it's mm-hmm. so much. And, you know, one of the things I want to do, I want, I want to offer this opportunity. If you're listening today and you feel compelled to learn more, you can visit freespiritualcommunity.com. And when you're there and you really feel compelled, there's a donate button. If you want to help push this mission and this movement forward, I mean, I don't think one free is going to just be enough. I think we can get free movements all around the world because at the end of the day, there's got to be a place for people like me to go who doesn't have to feel shame for working through his struggle and his journey and, and know that there are people right beside him, left or right, that are like, hey, that's me too. Let's do this together. Because I, I keep going back to what Tammy said. What are we going to do? Mm-hmm. It's so powerful because I think it's so easy for us to think it's a, it's a me, 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 me. I got to take care of me, 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 me. I got into this mess. Me. I remember my mom 44 minutes into my conversation with the, the, my mom the night before I got sober. She says, you know, you don't have to do this alone. Yeah. And I, I said, no, mom, I got this. I'm going to, mom, don't worry about it. I, I, I got this figured out. I'm just, I'm running through some issues right now, mom, but I, I can get it. I can fix it. And she's like, you know, son, I really think you need help. And I don't think you can do this on your own. And the men and women around you in recovery can help you. God, you know, you, you have to kind of give up your story and you got to go up. And, and part of that is, is so powerful today, Ryan, with where you're at, what you're up to. And what I'd love to do is just make sure people get the tools. So we'll put them in the tool section today, whiteboarding your why. You can find it on Amazon and other great places where books are sold. You can learn more about freespiritualcommunity.com. Hit the donate button. This is a great cause. I've been there firsthand. I've seen community. I've seen grace. I've seen that feeling of experiencing God, like welcome home. Come on, this is for you. We're not going to judge you. We're going to embrace you. We're going to love you despite everything you feel inside. We're going to love on you. So what I want to do is bring you through the fulfillment round, if you're okay with that. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So the fulfillment round is a bunch of questions I'm making up. So it's right or wrong. Doesn't matter. Just can't pass. That's my only thing for you. You have to, you have to make it up if you don't know it. Deal? Deal. No passing. Make it up. Say I'm ready. Ready. All right. Here we go. So Mr. Candidate, take me back to your childhood. Were you a skateboarder or a bicycle rider? Bicycle rider. You remember your first bike? Yes, a red BMX, and I taped the playing cards and the spokes to make it sound like a motorcycle. I love that. That's so. That's still so cool. Did you, ever, did you ever go over a can? You ever crush a can and put it in your can, and then you ride it and it made it really sound like a motorcycle? Yeah, yeah we did it all. We did it all. You were talking early on about doing what you kind of needed to do to get by. You, you talked a little bit about stealing, right? Like, I, I have a little story when I was a little kid, I was the kid who would walk in and get some now and laters and put them in his pocket and walk out. Like that was, that was me. I, I did those things. When you think about stealing time today from things, what will you sacrifice to make sure family is the most important? What is like something that you could give up personally for yourself to go spend more time with your family? Reading. I love to read and I, I realize. I've done a lot less of that lately in the last few months because my family's needed me on a different level. With Tammy being pregnant, 
she's, she's needed me on a different level. We have four kids now. So there's a lot of things I have to give up. I'm, I'm learning like to be a, to be a good dad, it requires a bit of sacrifice and that's okay. That's okay. Because I've got plenty of things I can do that fill me, but to be a good dad, I need to, sometimes I have to put the phone down. I have to put the email down. I have to, I have to reconnect. I was reading in my Bible this morning. Speaking of reading. About getting your priorities straight. Yeah. How much has your life changed with getting your priorities straight? Drastically, 100%. And part of that is when you're not waking up with a hangover every day, you can do a lot more. You can, you can have priorities. You can actually feel good at six in the morning rather than feeling like crap. So, but it's, it's, it's what sobriety has done for me is it's reprioritized my, the importance of relationships in my life and friendships and, and reaching out to others and not just living for myself. You were talking about eating hamburgers and junk food. If you were making a decision today to just say, hey, I'm going to go out and enjoy one good meal, would you find yourself eating at Burger King, Jack in the Box, or Mickey D's? Oh, hands down, McDonald's. All right. Hand, it was down. my go-to. Was it I a Big Mac, Quarter Pounder? What was it for you? Dude, it was the two cheeseburgers and french fries. That's a great combo, man. They somehow sucker you in on that deal. I, I know. What do you do to just get away and spend time with Tammy? Like, where's your go-to date night? Where's your go-to, let's take a walk? Where, where do you find yourself kind of like getting to spend quality time with four kids? It's not easy, right? So it's how, not how easy. Do you, how do you find the time? It has changed a lot. You know, oftentimes we'll, not now, of course, because it's too cold, but we love our back patio. We'll sit out on our back patio, which is the two of us. We'll sit out there for hours. We love, we're both, we're both in the coffee. She's much more of a coffee connoisseur than me, but we love hitting up coffee shops. Yesterday, we just, we went to free our, our location and we just spent some time doing some creative planning together. So we find it where we can get it nowadays. We're much less picky and it's much more, it's intentional. We have to be intentional with it. It doesn't just happen, but it's at much more random times. No, I appreciate it, man. And what I want anybody listening to do is this next question I'm going to ask. It's two parts. So the first question, anybody listening right now, I want you to understand you're not alone. So the first part of the question to Ryan is, what would you tell somebody today struggling who wants to quit and give up? There's a way out. There's a way out of the chaos. You don't have to do it alone. Chances are you can't do it alone. Many have tried. And the beauty is in knowing that you're not alone. There are people who have been there. There are people who want to be there for you, but you do have to reach out. You, you've got to stop isolating. You've got to stop with the aloneness. And it truly does get better. I promise you, there's a life waiting for you that is way more cool than you could ever imagine, way more fulfilling. And it's found in all the backwards things, things you thought weren't ever possible, like giving back, reaching out to others, loving others, loving yourself. It's counterintuitive. It's always counterintuitive, but it's way better than it is right now. And you mentioned too, beauty in the bottom. Yeah. You can't necessarily see it when you feel like you're, you're all alone in that closet or you, your addiction has taken over. I mean, I think I've said it, I've heard it. You can change up until your last breath. And what I've learned today is a man who 
who didn't think really about addiction and sobriety or alcohol was him. You know, you, you said to your brother, like you, 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 it wasn't you because you were the, you said you were the good kid, right? Yeah. What I've come to learn about addiction is it didn't care who you are, where you're from, what you do, how much money you make, what's going on in your life. It'll find a way to seep into your life and it will actually implode everything around your life. That's right. And it does not discriminate. It no. takes anyone. No. So the last part of the, this fulfillment round is really the last question of the show. And we're going to wrap up. It's going to go something like this. There's a day that you're born and a day that you die on planet Earth. In between, there is a line or a dash. You talked a little bit about what your definition of success was in the beginning. So now I want to know about your dash. If you had to write it today and the world had to hear it, how would that read? It would read something like, Ryan was honest and authentic he cared about others and he was willing to give things up for other people. He wasn't just living for himself. He was living his life to help others who were suffering. He was living his life to show that there really is a God of beauty who calls us to so much more. Amen, man. I appreciate you today, my friend. As always, it's an honor. I, I, I will say it. We, we saw each other this morning. So yeah. Now we got to connect this way to put out something for the world to hear. It's an absolute honor to, to be with you, hang out with you, get to know you. Thank you for who you are, how you show up. We'll get all the links up on the website in the episode. But Ryan, I'm going to ask one last question. It just kind of came to me. What does your wife mean to you? Everything, man. It's, it's like I said earlier, early on, we're a team. We're in this together. She's my ride or die. We, we don't do life separately. And I think God knew that about me early on, that Ryan needs someone to do life with. And so we do this life together when it comes to parenting, when it comes to, to God, when it comes to spirituality, when it comes to this thing called free, we do it together. And thank God, because I don't want to do it alone. I can't do it alone. I, I actually need her and I love doing life with her. So she absolutely means everything to me. All right. That is Ryan Candidate. My name is Tony Grebmeyer. This has been another episode of the Be Fulfilled podcast, the real stories behind success. We got to the top today of Success Mountain and we came back down. I still got my breath. I'm still lucky that I've got my friendship with Ryan and we're going to go out and do life together. I want you listening right now to know you are not alone. You're never alone. You have the opportunities all around you. If you want to learn more about freespiritualcommunity.com, go check it out. Realize you can find connection in this world. That was one of the things that I, I figured out early today with Ryan was grace, no more aloneness, that I got to proclaim what it is that I'm going through and realize that I've got people around me willing to help if I'm willing to help myself up and get off of the couch, get off of the ground, get off of what I've been doing and start doing things that are serving me and serving others. And that was one of the big things that came up today in our, our discussion was serving others. So thank you, Ryan, for your friendship. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for helping everybody to understand beauty in the bottom. And also, what are we going to do about it? We're in this together. We're not going to go run our separate ways. I, I, I love that. That is a powerful message, not just necessarily for marriage, but for life, that we're in this together. And so that isolation, that aloneness, let's smash that today. Let's, let's smash the we, meaning I have to go do all this by myself, right? I sometimes flip we upside down and make it me, 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 me. I got to go make this all happen myself. But I want to say 
been awesome, man. And I, I appreciate you very much. So thank you. Thanks for having me, man. Love you, brother. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, no matter where you go, no matter what you do, choose to make today the absolute best day of your life. Thanks for listening to today's show. But before you go, let me ask you a question. How would you like to be the architect of your journey in this game we call life? Take the next step now at trainersanddrivers.com and download my free mini course designed to give you more clarity and freedom in your day. It might just change your life forever. 